Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I like you, I could not. That's when it got wheels off. Liz Fair, in a lot of ways, is the perfect Wheels Off guest. When... I started imagining what a podcast would look like if I were to host it. It was being backstage at like a music festival with um, some other musician that I know about. Maybe we've met before. Um, maybe we have an acquaintanceship, but we get to sit down and sort of have a our first real big conversation and dig into it, right? Liz Fair is kind of just that. We've uh, come across each other over the years in the music world. Um, I've been super aware of her and a fan of her music and eventually her writing. Her memoir, Horror Stories, is great. I highly recommend it. Um, but the conversation that you're about to hear is exactly what we would have talked about. Maybe we were a little more guarded about names and details of other people's stories or whatever. But that this conversation you're about to hear is the exact conversation that Liz and I would have had backstage at a gig, just kind of talking about our jobs and how weird they are and how weird they are right now and how weird they were in the 90s. And we have um, a similar trajectory. We both worked during the old business model. We both had some success in the 90s, and we've both continued undaunted ever since. She is a powerhouse. She is really funny and cool and well-spoken, all of which is on evidence in her music and her memoir. And um, I'm so glad I got to have her on Wheels Off, and I'm so glad that you get to hear our conversation as we recorded it for posterity. Please welcome to Wheels Off the great Liz Fair. Welcome to Wheels Off, Liz Fair. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Rhett. This is exciting. Uh, and for the edification of our listeners, you are joining us from where? Los Angeles, California. And you're on the beach side, right? I am on the beach side. I'm a West Sider. Oh, I <laughs> Which, love it. <laughs> that's I, a, that's a, people have strong feelings about that division in Los Angeles. Well, I bet you have friends that live in like Silver Lake that you never see, like years. They might as well be in Chicago. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's how far it's like. We have to plan to get together, <laughs> figure out where I'm going to be stopping along the drive during rush hour at a motel. You know, don't want to drive behind the wheel, sleepy. Mm -hmm. And and I think I think <laughs> that you're the smart one though because they may have all the hip boutiques and the great whatever, but you're by the beach. And if you're going to go all the way to the west coast, why not be by the beach? 
that's exactly what I think. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hug the ocean. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> um, okay, so I I should say right off the bat, I really loved horror stories. I listened to the audiobook of it. I thought you did an incredible job reading it and also writing it clearly, but I think the reading sounded terrifying to me, having to sit down and read aloud everything that you'd written. But it was really moving and gripping and beautifully done. Way to go. Thank you. Thank you so much. I found that that process, I thought I had a pretty good enunciation generally. In I thought I was a good communicator. My <laughs> career would lead me to believe that I was a good communicator. But when I got in that booth and I was having to read my own book out loud, I'm a huge mumble mouth. Like I found all these idiosyncrasies in my speaking voice that I had no idea. I mean, I don't know if you found that with the I, uh, poetry book that, I mean, well, I don't. Nick Offerman did my poetry book reading. I did not have to do is it. Is that myself. why though? And he's got an incredible, re- well, I have learned, like I interviewed Michael Shabon, the novelist, and he read the audiobook for Mysteries of Pittsburgh, his first novel, and said that it was the worst thing he's ever done and that it was an ab- absolute failure. And they've had eventually had to have someone else read it. And Oh, come on. That, that story made me think, like, I, I'm not crazy about my speaking voice to begin <laughs> with. But you've got a cool voice. You did great. And I thought it made the humor come through so well because I do think that it, there's a lot of really funny stuff in the book and you delivering it. I don't know if anybody else would have gotten it like you did. Right. They could have just, yeah, the horror could have overshadowed the humor. (laughs) Can't allow that. Um, (laughs) So what creative project are you working on now and how does it light you up? Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about is how do you feel about working from home? Are you, do you feel confirmed that this is a life choice that you're going to stick to? Or is that an off-topic question? No, no, no. There is no topic. You're allowed to do whatever you want. I I think about this all the time. In fact, I just had to. Um, thanks for asking that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I just I just had to respond to an offered gig for my band Old Ninety Sevens in uh, November, and it was I would have gotten home the day of my son's 18th birthday. And one of the things I've realized, and I don't know how much I feel comfortable for him just saying about our personal thing. I will say it's been incredible being home as he's been 16, 17, 18 years old. And it makes me realize how much I missed, you know, when he was younger. So when I brought it up to him, he very clearly said, I would actually, I need you to be home the day before my birthday and on my birthday. And I was like, thank you for telling me that because now I can go to my band and turn down this gig. And I feel weird for them turning it down because that's money. But I love being home. I love, I do four gigs a week from this spot where I'm talking to you. Wow. From right and I'm able to feed my freaking family and dog. What about it's you? It's so amazing because we have, we have both grown up. Like our career was about traveling. Everything we did was about traveling. I even realized this year that even though I live here, in a way, I take my home with me in my mind because how else could you survive hotels and buses and stuff? You know, I've had a sense of myself that turned out to be a little bit of an illusion, I guess, in 2020. I realized, no, you live here. You live here. And like, this is what the weather like is this time of year. And it just, it, it's both in one sense, I feel like I have to start from scratch and think of myself as someone who lives somewhere in specific. And in the other sense, it is crazy to think 
um, of what a wild, interesting way of living I've been experiencing and how, how, I don't know, I don't have value judgment for it, but I definitely, it's on my mind every single day because it's becoming more and more comfortable to work at home. Like, oh, we're doing a photo shoot. That would be on the balcony. You know, which I just, you know what I mean? Like, like it's a strange thing. When it started, did, did, it, did you find it was difficult to shed your, um, the notions you had of yourself? Like, I am someone who is Delta whatever level member. I fly all the time. This is what I do. I love to book hotel. I book on myself now. Like, this vision of myself, I am on the go. This is who I am. But, I mean, it took a while for me to get out of that mindset. I felt the invasion of privacy. I thought that my home uh-huh. is the place where music doesn't come. You know, like my guitar is there for writing, but it's, I feel like a normal person when I come home. And all of a sudden, everybody's in every room of my house. You know, the public is like in my house. <laughs> it's like there was, there was an adjustment there of like, wait a minute. No, you know, no, we can't be in my house all the time. But now, now everybody's over. And now I feel a little bit more welcoming. Yeah. And uh, like I used to think of worlds colliding, right? Like if my wife or kids showed up at my gig, now I'm like a handler handling them, right? Handling them. I don't like that. Like I like to be handled when I'm at my gig. Somebody (laughs) else answer all the questions, do all this stuff. Now the worlds, they've just all collided forever. (laughs) (laughs) There is no boundary, is there? Like the boundary between home and which, which I think is interesting. And I guess I'm dragging my feet on getting off this topic but I think it is interesting when you are your own business because we we both probably think of the music as being our business and we're just sort of a helpful ambassador out there trying to like make it happen but in truth we are our own businesses and so when the business then comes into your home like you are there's nowhere to go you know like I don't know. I feel like I'm having to be Liz Fair more often than I normally would be. Oh, that's so funny. I wonder, though, then if Liz Fair, in flying air quotes, becomes more just you and less of a persona. Does that make sense? Yeah. And there's there's a freedom in that. But there's also kind of a like I I mean, I'm just curious how it's going to be in 2022 and we can tour. We can get out there again. How much we will have become attached to just, hey, I'm in my living room. Like, you know, like there is an ease of delivery because expectations are so low. Like as long as you're there, hi, hi, I'm here. Exactly. And and every night, uh, four nights a week when I do these shows, there's people from Alaska, Atlanta, Arizona, other places that don't start with A, like all over the place. <laughs> They're tuning in. Is it, does it feel really connected? Do you feel that kind of spooky... CB radio, 70s, late night. You know, can you get that? Can you get your DJ on? Okay. I don't know if you have the same experience I have where you have to tell yourself a certain story to make yourself walk out on stage in front of people, even in the before times, right? Like, oh my God, they're all looking at me. They all got babysitters. They all paid all this money. They all showed up, whatever. Who am I? Like, and so you have to tell yourself, I'm this incredible person and they all love my music and like hype yourself up. Well, it's very weird when it's an HD camera. Well, you know this, you've been doing it too. Like the story you tell yourself is it's now it's become a science fiction story. (laughs) 
it doesn't feel real in a way. Like, did we do that before? You know, did I? Yeah. That's so interesting. So, um, but so I want to know, like, you're also creating, even though it's from home, like the, uh, it's invaded your home life and you're making, tell me about Soberish. Is this the thing that you're, is it in the can? Is it out in the world? Where is it? Soberish is in the can, in the pipeline. We are putting out, we just put out another single called Spanish Doors um, last Wednesday. And uh, the whole album will be out on June 4th. So it's coming right up. It's been a long time waiting because we postponed it. It should have come out in March or April 2020. So it's weird to sit on a record for that long. And luckily, I had the opportunity to add a couple more songs, which I'm happy with, that we did remotely. Um, That was my first remote recording experience. And it worked almost too well. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's going to be that, like, do I really need to drive into the studio? Do I? Do I really? Um, So that's kind of cool. Promoting from home is weird. To be in a promotion cycle for a record without tour dates is weird. Um, But at the same time, like you said, we're we're all working on stuff. I'm working on the follow-up to horror stories right now, fairy tales. So... That'll be the lighter side, the more glamorous side of my life and career. That is so fun. I can't wait to read it. Are you enjoying writing it? Is it coming easily? It is now. It sure didn't over 2020 when I had all this time to do something, but I wasn't in a very fairy tale sort of frame of mind. Everything felt like I could write a sequel to horror stories. I could <laughs> double down on the horror, but um, yeah, no, it feels with the vaccination push and a new administration that I trust in power, it feels like there are, there are, there are ways forward. You know, this country was in so much pain in so many ways. Yeah. I, it's funny that over the last year, having these conversations with creative people um, that has come up over and over. And one thing that I think about all the time and reference all the time was a New Yorker cartoon. I don't know if you if it registered with you when it came out during the pandemic, but it was someone in a tiny rowboat or lifeboat in a big ocean with like lightning and a shark fin and a ship going down behind them and all these horrible things. And it's the person is saying, time to finish my novel. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, that, 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 ubiquitous and ominous I felt imagery of like well Shakespeare wrote King Lear during like I almost (laughs) picked up I did I picked up King Lear and started reading it just to see like you know hmm. um yeah this was not for me it turns out I a need need to see people to write music I did not know that I did not know that as a songwriter I was going to miss the interaction that I got with human beings I mean, of course, it makes sense. It seems like, duh. But at the same time, I thought if you if I ever had to do some jail time or something, that I would be so productive, you know, that I would get all this stuff done. But really, it's that jostling about in human life that um, inspires me. And I need that kind of, I didn't get to say this to that person at that occasion. I'll write a song about it or, you know, like that kind of stuff. I was missing a, an entire part of what makes me an artist. Did you hear people talk about that? That like social life was more important than they knew? 
Yeah. And, and it's funny because there's that um, cliche in our job and maybe in all of art creativity uh, that you, the greatest inspiration is having your heart broken, being devastated. Unhappiness drives more art than anything else. And I just don't know that like living in unhappy circumstances is a great situation in general, you know, especially perhaps for creativity. And, but just the interaction with people, for me, it's people watching. I think that's some of what you're describing as well. I've missed that. I miss people. Yeah, they're funny little creatures, aren't they? They're doing <laughs> yeah. all sorts of unpredictable things. You know, like, they give us all this that? grist <laughs> for our mills, you know? Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so I love that you brought up the sort of collaborative element. I pronounced that weird, collaborative element of music and um that was something that always drew me to it as well i wonder when you were starting when you were deciding that figuring out realizing that this was going to be your life was there a moment that you um knew like i'm going to be a musician i'm gonna i'm gonna do this for real forever was there an epiphany moment um a very compelling argument could be made for when i took over my own health insurance from my parents. <laughs> like I thought like, how did I afford that? You know, I haven't really gotten a regular job. This could be something, you know, like there was a, a grown up moment in that. But um, I think I always had a foot out the door. If I'm being honest until, and this seems ironic because this is past the point that most people could argue my best work was already behind me. Um, But when I had my son, there was a defining moment where my, my musical career had gone from being kind of a lucky accident to becoming a choice. And it was when I was facing, you know, do I tour with a baby? Do I try to bring him on the road or just even the job itself? I used to feel that I would love to make records, but I didn't want to perform in front of people. I was very nervous about performing and I couldn't bear to think of that as my permanent job to have to deal with that anxiety night after night after night. And it wasn't until I had my child that all that self-centeredness, all of that, like they want something from me that I just don't know I have to give, you know, this kind of like really angsty stuff disappeared, dissolved as a parent and you just, you looked at your, your child who's discovering the world for the first time. And you think your job is to get up in front of people and sing while they clap. And you have a problem with that. You know, like it was just this, this is the best job you could possibly have. And of course there's bad parts. Of course, every job, anytime you get money for anything, there's a downside, but but it really did. It felt like a, a beautiful moment between me and my music career where I chose freely, you know? And I love that. That's such a, that's so well described. And a lot of people, I think when they imagine um, their sort of genesis, usually it's really like I was six years old and I heard this song or whatever. But for you to think of it as like, this is an adult thing and I'm making a conscious choice and the perspective that the kids put it into. I mean, what a wonderful, valuable thing that is. Yeah, isn't it? It's I mean, the great when we're young, we're, of your life. We're so self-destructive. I mean, you and I, I think, were. I, I read your oh, book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I left stories out. <laughs> so, 100%. Yeah. 
<laughs> we, I didn't even know what was driving me back then. Something was driving me. Some urgency existed that felt like if I didn't outrun it, authority would determine my life, the rest of my life. And that I had to run, fight, clash, whatever I could do to carve out autonomy in this world, you know? Do you think that you were repelled by or terrified of normalcy, like the, the boring square life? I was, and I kind of want to reach back through time and slap me around a little bit and say like, it's fine. Take it. God, <laughs> you know, like it's going to be such a pain in the ass. You don't even know, you know, like I wish I'd availed myself of some of the opportunities that I could have had easily in the beginning, but I did feel, I did feel that, that to not voice my existence, to not matter was like the worst thing that could befall you. Now, I totally disagree with that now. You know, like, I really do disagree with that now. But at the time that that seemed really important to me. You know, did you ever have a moment where like, like the cry in the night had to be heard? Like, I don't know. I, I think that my version of that was, I used to think I was so special. Like there's nobody anywhere near what I am. Like nobody could possibly, if they could see inside my head, they would be baffled. I'm so <laughs> far- <laughs> I must have an IQ of 152. No, like- and now and now I've got these two teenagers that I'm like, oh my God, yeah, they, they could understand way more. <laughs> they see right through me, these little nerds. Can you see that moment when they look at you and they they think they know more than you? Can you see it in their eyes? They don't even have to say anything. You just look at them. You're like, ah, we're we're at that phase right now. You know, (laughs) every day I I see that moment. And then I see the moment where I realize they're probably right. (laughs) Well, it took a lot out of us to raise them. They got a lot of our good stuff already. (laughs) We gave it away. We were like, here, take some more, you know. Um, so you brought up a, a minute ago that feeling that, that I know that I think we all know really well, that feeling of uh, what other people think of us and our work and our oeuvre and our catalog. And um, and I I wonder how you deal with the kind of um, the fears of perception and also the sort of internally generated stuff that you run up against when you're trying to create the negative voices in your head, the um, the it comes up a lot, imposter syndrome or success guilt, like these different things that are just bouncing around inside our head trying to stop us. I'm wondering, because it really does seem like you've done a great job of facing those things. I wonder, like, what have you figured out? What are the secrets that you've figured out to deal with those things, to move past them? One of the ones that just came out up, up for me recently was, again, I have learned that unfortunately, as much as we would like to protect our precious creative work and that that sacred space of creation, that intimacy of like actually making something that you believe in, that is expressing something important to you, that you would like the world to hear. There are certain perspectives that you cannot, and, and you're like, okay, I'm going to think this through. What's the worst things that critics could say? Like, what's what's the worst thing that could happen at the company? What What are the scenarios? How can I protect this creation and shepherd it safely through the process of selling it? And unfortunately, you cannot think ahead of time 
And there comes different points along the path where you're going to think your work is the best thing you've ever done and different points along the path when you feel totally exposed as a fraud and that this thing is awful and everyone's going to hate it. And much as you would like to control those moments and like figure out a way not to feel that, you must go through the process. You know, there, there's always going to be a moment where you go, I'm humiliated. This is terrible. Stop it. Don't let it go out to stores. There's always going to be a moment where you're like, you're not giving this the credit it's due. It's brilliant. Like you're just going to have to go for the ride and you can only get answers to certain questions by being that far into the game. If you will, you can never outsmart the game before you take the ride. Ah, I love that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And this is the exact kind of wisdom that when I imagine like, um, you know, a 17 year old kid tuning into a podcast about creativity, wondering what is in store for them, that that's what I hope will give them hope. Just knowing that it's inevitable that you're going to have like the manic and the depressive, just one after yes. the other after the other. And, in, and you just have to walk. You just have to keep moving forward. You just have to go through. The only way out is through. Mm, that's really good. So I guess we've talked a lot about our kids. Sorry about that. But they're so great. You know, what are you going to do? I do wonder if you were to run into a young 21-year-old version of your, a younger 21-year-old version of yourself. But working in today's messed up world, um, what advice might you give yourself? Um, I give myself the advice that I give to the young people that ask me about um, their career and how to start their career. And that is that the business as I've experienced it is like a matching grant. Um, People want to invest in something that already has some heat attached to it or already has some momentum. So whatever you're doing, and this can apply at any, I've seen it with very experienced artists who want to start a new phase. They're like, oh, I've got a new record. They're like, just tour your old catalog. No, I've got a new record. Um, Everything in this business is about getting the momentum going yourself at first and then attracting people to help you further it. Don't expect anyone to take you from zero to 60 or they probably have nefarious uh, interests in some way or another. Like everybody in this business shows up as a matching, a matching grant. Do part of the work yourself. People will help you get it over the finish line. God, that's really well said. I, I, we in, in my band coming up, we would always think of it like you got to do everything yourself. But I don't think that that gives credit to the people who do have good intentions and something to bring to the table. But I love that matching grant. It's a generous way to think about it. And it's hopeful. Hopefully you do come across people that that can really help you. It's funny that I get asked a lot about managers and it was something you addressed in horror stories a little bit here and there. You've gone through different managers and you've had good and not so great experiences. And I just wonder, because Somebody, a young person was asking me this the other day, should I sign a a contract with this manager? And this was somebody who had no career yet. And this manager was trying to get them to sign like an all-inclusive, long, deep, thick contract with them. What would you say to that person? Run, run, (laughs) run, run. I have intervened when I've seen contracts about to be signed by people that are naive to the ways of the world in this music business. Um, I have actively stepped in and said, do not sign that and ask my management because people will lock up a young artist 
for something like five record deals. And the artist thinks, oh, that's five years. You know, I'm like, no, 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 no. That could be your entire career. Like that literally could be the whole shebang. Like, and anyone that wants to take you from zero to the top, something shady, something is seriously shady. Like run, run, run faster. You're not running. <laughs> and with man with uh, like that <clears throat> with management <laughs> like, it's like you're, you're, are you about to sign a contract Russ? it did it got like me nervous sweaty. Sorry. It, made, it made me remember well, these, yeah these contracts are pretty unethical when you dig into them yeah i guess we've been pretty lucky i just i yeah the young artists even young artists that have already signed contracts i've given the advice of i don't care if you signed that contract Make them sue you, make them come after you, walk away from them, you know, give them double birds and walk away. Doesn't matter. What's the Have you actually seen something like that, like recently? Yeah, I don't know if she would like me to say there's a young. No, don't, don't uh, name, no, don't name. But, but. Uh, but it, like a young Americana artist that had that, that signed a bad deal early on, like a one of those management slash production slash 360 deals. And then really good opportunities were presenting themselves and she, she was being held back and she ended up walking away from it. And it was the best move. Just turn your back on it. Say, sorry, you know, do your best to try and get me. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one thing I feel like um, just from afar, I've always felt like you have been someone that seems like you've done a great job of owning yourself and advocating for yourself and speaking up and I mean, who, you know, that that's how it feels and reading horror stories. I just, I guess the, the strength that you've always exhibited is something that I've always been inspired by. And I just think it's, I think it's so cool. I'm really glad I got to talk to you today, Liz. Thank you very much, Rad. It's, it's an honor to be here. This is very exciting. I know. I feel like, you, I, have... you know, what's funny in the way you started this by asking me um, the basic kind of backstagey questions when they came to me and said, do you want to do a podcast? I was like, do I have to? Is that like part of the job now that we have? <laughs> and they're like, yes, it is. So, but I was like, the only thing I would like is to have the conversations that I would have backstage with people that I get to do like a festival and you and I are backstage at catering and we talk about bad contracts, you know, other people we've run across, what the, this kind of stuff. And that's what I miss. And that's what I love. And I felt like if I was going to bring something to the table, it's this. And like, just the wisdom that you've dropped today is so great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Shop talk. I love it. You're doing good while having a good time. It's well, there's a song by Tom Lehrer, the 1950s mathematician at Harvard who became a novelty songwriter. And he had a song called the old, the old dope peddler. And the, the lyric I liked was the old dope peddler doing well, doing well while doing good. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> the tea cheers. The big muggo tea cheers. Woo. Thank you so much. Thanks, Liz. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day.
Thanks, y'all. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. 